wake up. It's the Sleep Unplugged podcast with Dr. Chris Winter. This is episode 25, Temperature and Sleep in the Cold, Cold Night. Welcome, everybody. Really glad you could be with us. For those of you new to the podcast, welcome to the Sleep Unplugged family. If you are a veteran, welcome back. This is a topic that we have alluded to on many occasions and definitely needs to be discussed. I'm glad it's episode 25. It definitely is a topic that deserves to be in the top 25 of podcasts. Let me introduce myself. My name is Chris Winter. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist. Been in the field of sleep research, sleep medicine, in some form or fashion for about 30 years now, and really happy to be here talking about different topics about sleep. We do a podcast episode every week. Really welcome your feedback to the show, questions, comments, corrections, criticisms, color, anything you want to add to the show, we really appreciate. You can reach me via Dr. Chris Winner Twitter, as well as Dr. Chris Winner on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, before we get started, I'll take a, a couple comments from, from listeners. Uh, first, Bonnie writes in and says, Hey, Dr. Winner, I love your podcast and books. Thank you for all of that. My question is, I wear a wearable a whoop band, have for two years, and notice that when she stopped taking her antidepressant, that all of a sudden her REM sleep kind of exploded, kind of came back. Uh, would love to know more about that. Or should I take this with a grain of salt? Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Bonnie. Thank you for listening and, and, and following the show. I really appreciate that. We definitely need to do a episode on wearables and we will in the new year. Uh, I do wear one. It's a Withings band. I talked a little bit about it during episode 22, our holiday gift guide. It's a great, great device. There's lots of them out there. Whoop is a fantastic one. R ring Fitbit. There's a bunch of them out there. What you're noticing is that some antidepressants do have the capability of suppressing REM sleep. So when we eliminate that antidepressant like you did, in some cases that REM sleep will rebound. And if you're somebody who's following it closely, you might see a bigger rebound when you initially stop taking the antidepressant. And as time passes, you might see that sort of level out again. Uh, Bonnie says she's 72 years old. Um, so her REM sleep, you know, may have suddenly been 30% of her night and now it's settling back into about you know, 15 to 20%, which is where we would typically see it. So what you're seeing is perfectly normal and we'll talk more about wearables um, absolutely in a future episode. Also wanted to give a shout out to Buzz. Buzz wrote, hey, Dr. Winter, enjoying your podcast as well as your other outputs. Would really enjoy your thoughts about biphasic and polyphasic sleep. Is it a myth? How common is it? Et cetera, et cetera. I mentioned in a previous episode about biphasic, biphasic sleep, there's a great book out there about Roger Eckert called At Day's Close, Journey in Night's Past, or something of that nature, where he talks about first and second sleep. It's been written about polyphasic sleep is real. It's not a myth. It's essentially anybody who's divided their sleep into more than one phase. Biphasic sleep, meaning you sleep, you're awake for a period of time, and then you get back to sleep again. Polyphasic meaning that you're waking up multiple times during the night. I think the more it becomes poly and the less it becomes bi, if that makes sense, uh, in the sleep terms only, uh, it's becoming probably more and more likely to be abnormal. 
Uh, there are some experts who truly believe that we were meant to sleep in two cycles. So individuals who go to sleep have a period of wakefulness during the night and wake up later on. That could be perfectly normal. Uh, so we'll definitely do, uh, I'm going to add polyphasic, biphasic sleep, as well as uh, wearable tech to the um, list of topics we have coming up. And we'll definitely cover that. But Buzz, I really appreciate you following the show and, and appreciate your support. So I called today's episode in the cold, cold night. I was torn between that title and another title called Sleep Warm, uh, which was the, so in the cold, cold night is a white stripe song off their 2003 album, Elephant. That was their big album. I believe it was their fourth studio album after was it White Blood Cells that had you know, Seven Nation Army and um, Button to Button and just it's a fantastic song uh, uh, album. Uh, it did not win Album of the Year for 2004. I think Outkast won it that year. Is that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, there was a yeah. This album was released. Elephant released 2003, um, but was up for the 2004 um, Album of the Year. It did win Alternative Album of the Year, I believe, but did not win Album of the Year. But Outkast was very deserving in that one, I think. Um, so anyway, one of the songs was "In the Cold, Cold Night," and it's you know basically you're going to be cold and sad without me and and etc. So I thought that would be a great title for the show. But the other one that was in the running was a 1959 album by Dean Martin called Sleep Warm, which featured, so it was interesting, Dean Martin saying Frank Sinatra orchestrated the, 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 the musicians of the album. So he was the orchestra director, Dean Martin sang, and the whole album, which received really good reviews, not quite as good reviews as Elephant, but really good reviews was a whole album dedicated to songs about sleeping. And the title track was Sleep Warm. Uh, track number two, Hit the Road to Dreamland. Um, uh, number three, Dream. So it was just a whole bunch of songs about dreams. So, so I was torn between, is the title going to reference sleeping warm or is it going to reference sleeping cold? And so that's the temperature topic we're going to talk about tonight because there's a lot of misunderstanding about sleep and temperature. And I think this is a fun venue to sort of set the record straight. So what are we talking about when we talk about temperature? Well, temperature and sleep are very intimately tied together. Uh, and you can imagine that when you look at the regulations of sleep and the hypothalamus, that's also the place that's regulating our body temperature. So we're uh, warm-blooded animals. We keep our bodies around 98.6. So there's a lot of things happening in our bodies that regulate body temperature and sleep plays a role in that as well too. And really since the beginning of looking at sleep, there has been an investigation of looking at temperature as it relates to sleep. And a lot of those things, when you look them up, have to do with what we call the hot bath effect. So if you warm a body up, warm an individual up prior to sleep, it can be associated with really positive findings when it comes to sleep. Um, and so when you look at that, you're talking about warming the body being associated with falling asleep faster, warming the body being associated with deeper sleep, and also warming the body being associated with less fragmentation. So when we go back to episode, or what was it, episode 15 about 
our insomnia topic. So the first Monday of every month, we talk about some topic related to insomnia. I think the last one we did was on alcohol, but one was sleep fragmentation, waking up in the middle of the night. What does that mean? Well, number one could mean we go back to the circadian rhythm, polyphasic sleep. It was a natural thing for you to wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, but number two could be that it could be related to temperature changes um, during the night. So if your body is not sufficiently warmed prior to going to bed, that could lend itself to more sleep fragmentation, which is interesting because when you look at research on warming and body temperatures and sleep, a lot of it has to do, if you do a literature search, a lot of it has to do with sleep in the elderly. What does warming an older individual do in terms of their sleep quality and, and quantity, which is kind of interesting. So the caveat with the sleep, the warming is that that warming needs to occur well before going to bed somewhere, you know, at least an hour before going to bed, even up to eight hours prior to bed, warming of the body has been shown to influence sleep, which is really terrific. So, and this is all being mediated through an area of the hypothalamus called the preoptic area of the hypothalamus. So in animals, that pre-warming is being mediated through that part of the brain. And we see that, don't we? I've got two dogs. I'm going to post some pictures on Instagram. Again, DR Chris Winter, Instagram, DR Chris Winter, TikTok. I've, I've got a, two dogs. Uh, if you looked at my Instagram feed a, a couple of days ago, I did a little video about my morning routine and my evening routine. And I think they were, they had a little cameo in both of them. And what I love about these two, uh, one's a little bit older than the other, is they, they kind of play around and bother each other the little one definitely bothers the old one but in the evening as they start to wind down they always nest together in fact they're kind of similarly colored and sometimes when you look at them you can't even tell where one dog begins and the other ends they're just wrapped up with each other and that's a very typical pattern of behavior that you see in animals prior to bed this nesting behavior building a nest creating body warmth prior to going to bed is very important to that sleep initiation process. And when we look at that, we can see that all of this is happening during a time of relatively stable body temperatures leading to a relatively rapid drop in body temperature. So what's happening here? Well, if you look at core body temperature, as core body temperatures fall, we start to become sleepier and become less alert. We talked about in the, the, the light episode, um, which was two episodes ago. So I guess that was 20, 20, episode 23, I believe we did an episode. That was the episode on light. I talked about Chuck Seisler doing some very important research about how light influences our circadian rhythm. Well, Chuck's back again um, in the early 80s showing that as temperature starts to drop in our core, it makes us ready to sleep. So. Chuck Seisler was doing unbelievable research, looking at the influences of our environment, both light and temperature, as they relate to sleep. And that's a huge theme. And it's interesting when you look from you know, that period in the early to mid 80s until now, light has really gotten the lion's share of attention. Blue light and blue blocking glasses and light in your bedroom and watch out for light from your phones and devices and this and that. But temperature really doesn't. And that has a lot to do with the fact that it's difficult to study temperature. It's, it's, hard, it's a harder variable to control than light. 
So in any, in, in any case, they were doing experiments where participants sort of self-selected their bedtimes. So if you put individuals in an environment and didn't give them any time cues and said, when do you feel like your optimal time to go to bed is? It was found that most people would select the time during the most rapid decrease in their body temperature. So if you think about the body temperature curve, it tends to peak around four or six o'clock in the evening, and then it starts to slowly drop until it hits its trough or nadir about an hour or two before we wake up. So right as the temperature goes from its peak and starts to decline, it's a relatively mild slope. But as that decline becomes steeper and steeper, we reach the point where our temperature is dropping faster than it is at any other point in the night. And that's typically the time that we would choose for our, our bedtime, which is really interesting. So we have several things going on here. We are actually preparing our body by nesting, trying to warm our body as, as animals will do, but we're actually seeing a decline in body temperature as the night goes on. So there were, remember these studies were you know, from the early 90s. There were Swiss studies that, that came out of, of looking at this sleep and temperature relationship and looking at the distal extremities and what was going on there. So we want to differentiate between core temperature and distal, like your hands and your feet. And what was shown in those studies was that during this time of temperature decline, there is an initial vasodilation. So think of the blood vessels in your hands and your feet as dilating, getting bigger. Um, when you're out skiing and all of a sudden your hands are freezing cold and you just can't get them warm, you can imagine that the blood vessels in your hands are starting to constrict. That's the opposite, vasoconstriction. They're getting smaller and smaller. And now you're sort of pulling warmth to your core and sacrificing your distal extremities. That's literally the nature of frostbite in individuals when they're climbing Mount Everest. It's like the body says, forget the fingers. We need to, we have more important things to preserve in as well as heat. So what you see is sleep, as sleep begins, we are doing sort of nesting behaviors to increase our core temperature. We are seeing the beginning and then more and more rapid decline of temperature. And we're also seeing a vasodilatation of the hands and feet. And it was shown in a very important uh, study um, from Nature in 1999 that that vasodilation was a good indicator that the circadian system was starting and sleep was, was, was being initiated. Uh, and you could often see that prior to, up to you know, one to two hours prior to sleep happening, that vasodilatation happening. And individuals could use that information to help with sleep. So when we talked earlier about older individuals, they have more fragmented sleep, they have more difficulty initiating sleep, all these things are known that there were many, many studies showing that if you peripherally warmed an individual's hands or feet, they often use sort of warm baths and put feet or hands into that, that you could influence the quality and speed of sleep initiation in individuals who struggled. In fact, I think there was a case where I think Dr. Oz said on his show that if you, here's a great trick for sleep, put a whole bunch of rice inside of a sock or something, and then heat up the sock in the microwave, 
and then put it on your feet. And you can make your own little do-it-yourself foot warmer and that will help you initiate sleep. And I think somebody you know, put the rice in the microwave for 10 minutes and heated it up to the point where it's glowing red or something, put it on their feet and got such bad burns that they sued Dr. Oz or something that I can't remember exactly. Um, so do not do that. There's just, you know, socks on your feet, you know, a little gentle warming with a heating pad or something like that will, will do just fine. So when you actually look at this, we have somewhat of a conundrum, right? So, okay, great, Chris, this is all fascinating science. What do I do? Am I cooling my body? Am I warming my body? What do I do to reconcile the fact that we've got cooling and warming going on all at the same time? Well, when we fall asleep, what's really happening here is there is actually a gradient or a difference between the temperature of our hands and feet, distal temperature, and our core temperature. So as we are getting ready to go to sleep, that vasodilation of our hands is actually creating warmth. And then we've got a warmth and our body is getting warm too. So we have a very higher gradient. And then what starts to happen is as our core temperatures start to cool and our hands are cooling, we get less of a gradient, meaning that as our body temperature is assuming a core that's cooler, it's now starting to kind of match up with what's going on with our hands. So think about initially getting in bed, that core is much warmer, and as we start to cool our core, we start to bring that core temperature more in line with the temperature of our hands, so there is now less gradient. It's, it's, it's very similar temperature distal, temperature proximal. And that drop of the temperature is really important for not so much the initiation of sleep, but the maintenance of quality sleep. And that's why you often hear, hey, you're going to sleep best at a temperature of about 65, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. And that temperature is very influenced by melatonin, that new set point. So as we're moving along during our day, we have a much higher core temperature. As we sleep during the night, that temperature tends to be lower. So all that's being set in the hypothalamus. Melatonin is working to do that. Whereas if we heard melatonin before, all oh, right, melatonin, circadian rhythm, and light. So once again, there are other influencers to melatonin besides light, but it's all geared towards influencing the timing of sleep or the timing of biological processes. Um, and that's why we always talk about melatonin is not a sleep aid, it is a timing aid. It's a biological timing aid. And I, and I posted on, on Twitter several weeks back about a study that Sherry Ma shared on her uh, Twitter page, she's a wonderful follow if you don't follow Sherry Ma, that showed that weighted blankets, and we talked about the Barabee blanket during the uh, product guide on episode 22, that even sleeping with weight on us could be influencing melatonin secretion as well too. So when we're looking at these things that are triggering us to sleep, I look at my dogs again, what are they doing? They're curled up, they've got themselves all tied into one, one another, trying to influence their heat, they're trying to warm up, They've got their heads sort of tucked in, almost like a little armadillo, so they're shielding their eyes from light. And they're literally almost on top of one another. And I like to think that they're trying to simulate that feeling of the weighted blanket, that the weight of each of them on top of one another may be another way that they're sort of signaling to their brains, it's time to sleep. So as we create that cooler set point during the night, we find that that cooler temperature during the night really does help to influence the quality of sleep. Um, so then it becomes, okay, well, why, what, what does all this mean? Why do we, why do we even do this? 
And there's a lot of theories about that, early theories related to uh, energy conservation, although when you actually look at the metabolic expenditure of sleep, even though we're cooling our bodies and cooling our core and sleeping in that 65 to 67 degree temperature, we're only seeing about a 5 to 15% reduction in energy expenditure. So it's not really enough to, uh, to sort of uh, prove the idea that we're doing this primarily or solely to conserve energy. That really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So as the night progresses, we are starting to, to move towards the end of our night. What do we see? Well, if you look at a body temperature curve, you actually see the body temperature start to rise in that hour or two before we wake up. We also see that vasodilation that we had in our distal extremities starts to change to more of a vasoconstriction. Uh, this is a stimulus for more REM sleep and eventually awaking. So when you think about the vasodilatation, that's the stimulus for non-REM sleep and sleep initiation, the vasoconstriction, more REM sleep, and eventually the end of our night. So what we're left with is essentially pretty simple. When we're looking towards the preparation and initial initiation of our sleep, we're looking for sort of a distal warming effect prior to going to bed. So as we're watching TV, as we're in bed reading, that warmth can be very helpful, particularly in our hands and feet. Um, that's why a lot of people say wearing socks in bed at night can be helpful for sleep initiation. Um, I think eventually those socks need to go so we can uh, facilitate the natural vasoconstrictor that comes later in the night. But then once we initiate sleep, we really want a platform or an environment to be relatively cool. Uh, not even if you're somebody who doesn't feel like they need a cooler temperature or doesn't sweat, that cooler temperature does tend to help with sleep uh, promotion, I'm sorry, sleep, sleep uh, maintenance and sleep quality. So how do we accomplish these things? Well, you can do it with smart thermostats. Um, this is a lot of energy expenditure to literally heat and cool an entire house just to get your body at the temperature that you need. There's a lot of products out there that are much more useful to that. I've used a plot product platform for years and are recommended to my patients and, and athletes and clients, a Chili Sleep Chili Pad. They make the Chili Pad, the Uller, and the Doc Pro, which is the device that I use right now. My wife uses, I'll post some pictures of that too. It's a little uh, bed that we talked about in episode 22, a little uh, mattress pad that goes over your mattress. It circulates water uh, through the bed and allows that water to adjust temperature. So. Um, the older versions of it, you'd put them on and it would just be cool all night long. So I would be out in my living room. I would you know, make sure that I had my feet warm and my, my distal extremities nice and warm getting ready for bed. But then once I got into bed, it was a constant uh, manufactured cool bed all night long. And when I say cool, I mean very cool. You can make it almost uncomfortably cool if you want to. And that's important that when we talk about cool beds. We're talking about cool, not cold or uncomfortable. You can create a bed that's so cold that it's actually impairing sleep. Um, and there's a lot of fascinating science about how the temperature is actually affecting what kinds of genes and, and chemicals are being expressed throughout the night, which is well beyond the topic of this show tonight, uh, today. So uh, the newer version of this product, DocPro, the one I'm using right now, is much more intelligent and is allowing the individual to sort of set the bed up 
not only in terms of the temperature that they want, but also the timing of it they want. So I have a cool bed running through the night, but about an hour before I go to bed, the temperature is starting to rise, which is sort of uh, mirroring what you would typically see with a body temperature curve. And we'll put a bunch of body temperature curves on social media to kind of show you what we're talking about. And not only is it a lovely way to wake up, but I found that when we think about alarm clocks, most of our alarm clocks we use have sound. I use one that uses light, like a little simulated sunrise. But I'll tell you, I often wake up with the rise in that temperature. You, like, you can feel it. Um, anybody's ever wet the bed before? It's, it's not dissimilar to that where you're like, hmm, I feel a gentle warmth radiating from my groin ear. Uh-oh, oh no, what's going on here? So. You, know, you remember that as a kid when that would happen. So um, you can feel that warmth, I feel like almost in your sleep in a strange way. Um, thinking about your linens, thinking about your pillow, thinking about the clothes that you wear, all of these things are going to influence body temperature um, in, in one way or the other. There are some other products, uh, Eight Sleep makes a mattress and some products that do the same thing. There's also one that uses air. Um, so, you know, a lot of products have sort of popped up since the, the Chili Sleep platform was introduced. Um, if somebody said, look, Chris, you don't know me. I don't think I sleep particularly well. What is one thing that I could do right now to influence the quality of my sleep? I, I think that temperature might be the answer to that question. I have not met many people who bought a device like Chili Pad or Chili Sleep and been you're really upset with it. Um, so anyway, uh, something to think about. So as we're thinking about schedules, circadian rhythms, as you're going through the episodes and listening to the episode about circadian rhythms and you're listening to the episode about light, I do want you to keep temperature in mind because it is a huge influence to our sleep. And when we've talked about schedules, we've also talked about, hey, when you get up, Let's get out in the light, let's get a little something to eat, and let's get our body warm and facilitate that natural temperature curve that's going to make us sleep healthy and feel great during the day. So that's it. That's really what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to get the ball rolling with temperature and sleep. So glad you could join me today for this episode. It's a very important one. I'm glad we got it in uh, this year. Look forward to getting your feedback about your own temperature stories and what you do to stay cool during the night. Uh, my name is Chris Winter. If you can, if you want to reach out and contact the show, you can find me Dr. Chris Winter Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter TikTok, and Dr. Chris Winter Instagram. My books, The Sleep Solution: Why Your Sleep Is Broken and How to Fix It, as well as The Rested Child: Why You're Tired, Wired, or Irritable Child May Have a Sleep Disorder and How to Help. Both books cover the topic of temperature pretty extensively, both for adults in the first book and kids all the way up to their college years in, in the second book. So check those books out if you need a little bit more information. That's it. Uh, sleep cool uh, tonight. Sleep well in general. And we will catch you on the next episode of Sleep Unplugged. Sleep well.